Elizabeth reports that John had leaped in her womb. According to Elizabeth, this movement was different from any other movement she had experienced with her son. Most babies are active in the womb, but this movement wasn't because he was startled, but rather filled with joy by the Holy Spirit and jumping as a result. In this week's sermon, Kelly preached on Luke 1, 39-46, where Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth. What results is a situation filled with the Holy Spirit, prophecy, and song. Today, we're going to discuss these verses and their implications on our lives. Stay tuned. From Glen Allen Bible Church, I'm Matt Morrow. I'm John Vanderveld. I'm Beth Moss. And I'm Kelly Brady, and this is episode number 182 of The Next Level. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How's everyone? Good afternoon. We're getting close to Christmas, guys. It's we are. Yeah. Does that feel to like a lot a of lot pressure? Like oh, see? Every, every Advent. <laughs> hey. Every week. You know what? I'll be disappointed now sang, if he doesn't. Mary just outburst of song in this passage. You Kelly, the outburst of song. Outburst of song. Yeah. The Magnificat. If Mary's is called the Magnificat, what is Kelly's called? <laughs> the not so Magnificat. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of music, music was good again Sunday. I enjoyed the string trio. Yeah. Somebody asked me, where'd those people come from? I said, just hard guns. Yeah. Well, Re- I recognize uh, Renee. Yeah, Re- she's yes. been here is, yes. has been here before. Yeah. And actually, the cello player has played with us one other time. Oh, cool. But Renee is sort of the constant anytime if someone mm-hmm. in the ministry who plays violin uh, isn't available, then I'll reach out to Renee. And so I just asked her, like, just bring in two heavies, mm-hmm. man. Just come in and just <laughs> knock it out of the park. And All right. She plays in a lot of like the, um, you know, orchestras and stuff mm-hmm. around the Chicagoland area and beyond, I think. So I think she just reached out to a couple people she's played with. And yeah. Wow. It, you know, what's amazing to me is um, three stringed instruments can make a huge sound. Yeah. Yeah, they can. Yes. I was not, exp- I actually was not expecting it to sound that big. Oh. Even there are plucking when you were when you were picking your car they were plucking yeah. and it was it really filled out nicely yeah i mean i guess that's why when you see a massive symphony orchestra yeah. it's so moving you know they might have four or five violins i don't know but we had two and it sounded huge, huge. so did you have a band too so we did church remotely so for those the, those of us who were remote yeah. what we, we did Okay. We did well. We um, you had a piano. Jan, yeah, we had okay, piano. piano. Jan Brown played Boy, piano. Can she play? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy the cow. piano jumps. Yeah, and that's her it's lane. Rocking. I mean, yes. That kind of style that is her huh? lane. I can see oh, that. Oh, really? It was. Oh. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the classical. It's there's. We had scores for everything. Yes, so she she's reading notes score. instead of just uh-huh. going off a chord chart. Yep. And Annika plays piano, and she, when she yeah. comes, and she's good, and she comes in. Is and she coming along? Oh yeah, she's great. When she comes in and sees that Jen is playing. She's like, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause she just loves to to yeah. watch her play. And, see, that's the yeah. other thing. She plays with her heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the passionate. other thing that yep. you don't see a lot with classically uh, trained right. and background a folks. Stoic, a lot of times they are a little which is fine, but mm-hmm. she brings both like the physical passion yeah. and mm-hmm. really just yeah. beats the crap out of that piano, which <laughs> I love. I think most instruments, the harder you hit them, the better they sound. So and per piano is a percussive instrument. Yeah. Like you mm-hmm. are yeah. You know, banging yeah. it with your with your okay. hands and just yeah, I love the way that she combines the skill level and the intensity. Yeah, Dude, that so, that whole oh holy night. It's my favorite song, like yeah. you know, mm-hmm. Christmas song. It's probably up there for just Christian song in yeah. general. Like I love that song. 
It was so good. It was good. Yeah. All my kid, my high school boys were like, Braden said, he goes, he's like, man, that song was so good. He's like, I was like, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was so great. That's awesome. It was. We had a great, That's it, was, so awesome. it was funny. Uh, I've been putting that quote, I've been putting that in my back pocket. Like, I was just like, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but man, it was like. Mo- emotional, yeah, like a good. moving that song. arrangement. That is arrangement is so powerful. It's yeah, a, it's oh, a year yeah. old. Oh, yeah. So it that just came amazing. out, I think, last year. Yes. Yeah. And it's uh-huh. uh, the girl who sings it is Taya, Taya or whatever her name she is. is. She's the one who sings uh, Oceans and yeah. Yeah. super powerful mm-hmm. voice. It's very moving. Yeah. And there are a lot of strings in that arrangement, yes. which is why we chose it. Totally. And so, you know, the string section yesterday yeah. just nailed it. Uh-huh. And there is, you know, the guitar it's progression, it's like the same. It just never changes. It's four chords. but everything that and it's just the supporting movement percussive instrument in Mm -hmm. in the arrangement everything else has gets to play around and do beautiful things and and then on top of all of that um brooke sang Mm -hmm. and um is right in her that is (laughs) which i did not know like Uh. it was a little higher but Uh also has a lot of um different they take some variations with the yeah. melody mm-hmm. and there's a lot of version. fast runs in uh-huh. it almost like gospel type of runs yep and we have we don't have a lot of songs that call for that so i haven't heard her do that and she came in for rehearsal and started singing that and was doing all of the runs just yeah. like in the recording and awesome. i was like okay wow <laughs> yeah Fun. so in third service uh this kind of segs into this uh, funny thing that happened so in third service we we had clapping, but it was hesitant clapping. Oh, I I grew up with <laughs> it hesitant was. It happens clapping. like once a year. It's like yeah. it's like like four. Am I allowed uh, to do Four this? of the family groups were like, <laughs> like really clapping, <laughs> and then everybody else like, oh wait, are we allowed to clap? Is that okay? <laughs> right, right. So it, I, I had to just address it just real quick because uh-huh. you know it's, and I understand the hesitation because we don't want to just praise people on the platform for right. themselves and. But it was a moment just to say, hey, you know, we, I don't think anyone up here receives a clap. Right. Like, look at me. Look at what I did. Yeah. No, We've been no. rehearsing all week and, uh, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's like, no, we just we clap in our culture to affirm something that's right. good, beautiful, mm-hmm. moving. And we do it in church as a way to p- praise God. Mm-hmm. Praise God. And, and we're worshiping God in all of this and with all of this. So anyway, um, string trio was great. The clapping was great. Ken did a good job. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Ken Dreifout, one of our elders, yeah. did the uh, intro the welcome prayer. Intro and prayer. And, prayer. and um, he's very good. He's very, very he's, confident. He's really confident. And comfortable. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And the advent. Advent that lighting. That was good, too. <laughs> that was fun. Another family on the video. That's yeah. good. It's fun. She's like, and I'm not going to tell you my age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're little four-year-old daughters. It's... So I was there for the filming of all of those. So I, oh, you know, like all the takes and everything. And um, I said to her, I'm like, we have a teleprompter that helps people, you know? And I was like, I think it's Alicia is her name. I was like, sweetie, you can just, you know, read them on the screen. She looked at me and goes, I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> like in my mind. <laughs> like in my mind. And her mom's like, yeah, she's like, she's, she's like just like just four. turned four. <laughs> It's like I am so sorry, <laughs> but she had whatever it all. you were like. My kids were reading it too. She had her little <laughs> her part. And she had it all memorized and did you know. Aww. So it was, it was taking this was no cute. school thing like, a little I, too far. Like, I can't, I can't read. <laughs> like that's what, hilarious. Are you crazy man, appropriately <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, my bad. <laughs> I thought they did great. Yes, 
so fun. Yeah, we got another one this week, the Gower family. And uh, yeah, keep them going all through this Advent season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joseph, how are you doing? Your preparation? We're, we're noticing the beard is getting longer. That was one of the first things we noticed. Dude, you would have a killer, I just am noticing right now, handlebar mustache. Right. Or like, oh. not handlebar, what do you call oh, that? Like the, all the way down. Like the uh, Orange Fumanji. County, uh, the Orange yeah. County yeah. Choppers, guys? Because you've got yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will it's you like please the do that? You've got the, because it's like. It's, all, it's black. It's right? black, yes. right? On the perfect. You uh-huh. should go as the Orange County Chopper dad for. <laughs> Halloween next uh-huh. year. Just keep it. Or Christmas. Or Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> Easter. Yeah, I'm working on Joseph. Easter. I'm <laughs> you do the orange chopper. <laughs> orange, orange county choppers. <laughs> the dad. <laughs> that's awesome. You're still working on it. Working on it. Joseph's yep, coming along. Got to get it memorized, and so mm-hmm. that's a Christmas Eve. You do Mary this week, so yep. we did Zachariah and Elizabeth, husband and wife, and now we'll do Mary, wife, and Joseph Christmas Eve, husband, and just how they're finding hope in Christ. Wow, we're that close. We're there. Yeah. We're, we're that there. Close. Mm. We're like almost to a school age children. It's countdown. finals week or near finals it week. It is. Here. It's the end of the semester. Yeah. It's a busy week here at church. I was realizing there's a lot yeah. that's going on this week. Preparation for for Christmas. We're we're recording ahead of time. Right. Multiple services mm-hmm. so that we don't have to record on yeah. Christmas or Christmas Eve or mm-hmm. Eve Eve. We've and got. Four services the following And if you haven't week. registered and you're listening, go register because they're filling up. One is full, oh. totally full. Which one? Is, one is one seat this, left. The oh, 23rd is full. The 23rd, 23rd is, is full. full. Yeah. And the middle of the day on the 24th is full. The other two are getting close. Wow. So. That's great. I love it. That's, yeah. I'm so glad. I was wondering, you know, we didn't know how it was going to go. And yeah. Right. Just glad people are wanting to come to church and mm-hmm. not shaming anyone who doesn't yet, but just right. saying I'm thankful that people are wanting to come. Student Ministries had a, a movie night last oh, night. I saw them here last night. Yeah. Which was... Uh, um, what did they watch? They watched Elf. They? <laughs> which, you know what? I In the church I grew up in, that would have never happened. This is part of a, like I love about our church. They took every chair out of this room. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. And they pushed the them all center. to the... Yes. In the worship center. They pushed all the chairs to the side. Oh, my goodness. They brought couches down and like yeah. spread... So everybody could spread out... And they all, all these kids are in masks, and they're all spread mm-hmm. out, but they That's wanted a fun. comfortable yeah. experience rather than sitting in rows. And then they and did chairs. it on the big screen and then there. they put it on the That's big awesome. screen. Yeah, man. I'm glad they with did. With the sound totally. system. And Look yeah. at this sound system and the screen we have in great. here. Like, yeah. We only use it yeah. on Sundays. Like, let's do some movie nights. There should nights. be movie nights here yeah. all the time. Which yeah. is a little bit of what we How talked about. How many kids did they get? They had, I think they had 70 kids in each. So, yeah. It's close to 70 middle schoolers and then 70 high schoolers. Wow. They had two different showings. Oh, cool. That's great. Two showings. Yeah. 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 So they could space out and yeah. be yeah. comfortable. But and I remember when we kind of pitched this room of like, it will be... Multipurpose. Uh, yeah. Multipurpose. It'll be yeah. very honoring and mm-hmm. pleasant yeah. and, and organized on Sunday mornings and all that. But it also will give us freedom for caregiving center and student ministry. Oh, this right. room gets used. It's awesome. And it, it's mm-hmm. awesome how much we use this room. Um, you know, I just... It was cool. I'm why you know. Yeah. They so they wouldn't have showed El- Elf at your church uh, that you grew up in. We might have shown a movie like that, but there's no way it would have happened in the worship center. Oh, gotcha. 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 Sacred yeah. space. Because it's sacred space. Oh, it was sure. the sanctuary. Yeah. It was like locked and closed. Gotcha. And the Ark of the Covenant was there. Yes. I won't tell you the. <laughs> no. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. well, I'm impressed There's, though because being in the worship center now, it's put back. Yeah, it's totally back. It, you would never know yeah, that there was did. a party in here. They did last a, night. a great job. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, Mark sent me a text and was like, hey, you mind if we grab some couches out of your office? I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you sprayed them down first thing? Yeah. Will All they right. come back in the same shape as <laughs> I they know, left? No, I know. It was not about cleanliness. Or it's not about <laughs> getting, needing COVID mm. treatment. But uh, Okay, let's, uh, let's go into some questions. So um, the first question, uh, yeah, I can totally understand where this is coming from, right? Um, some people feel like any time... Kelly preaches or somebody else preaches and and you uh, take from it a social issue, sometimes people get a little squirmish. And that's, I think, where some of this question's coming from. So let's read it. Your comments against ab- abortion seemed opportunistic. Are you sure that a Christmas message is the time slash place for that type of rhetoric? It always makes me cringe to hear these types of political issues addressed in the church. Yeah, so let me say I appreciate the question. Uh, let me say that I'm glad someone asked the question, um, but let me disagree with it. <laughs> I, I think it is ideal, um, which maybe that's the definition of opportunistic. I don't know what seemed opportunistic, um, but it strikes me as ideal. We have two miraculous births. Wait, can I ask a question? Yeah. It strikes you as ideal, an ideal place or an ideal verse? Or yes. both? Yeah, both. Okay. So great. Yeah, it's, the, it's an ideal time of year. We're talking about the unborn Savior or the soon-to-be-born Savior. It's an ideal narrative, biblically, to talk about the importance of protecting the womb and uh, God's gift of life. I, so it, it, maybe that is... It you said seem things like before, str- like all preaching is opportunistic. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. we take, we're going to make the most of this. Gonna, if it's in the text, we're going to make the most of it, right? It's, you know, I, I, I get that what they're asking. Like, wasn't yeah. it a little bit like? Maybe it's maybe they mean it's it's a we it's came a, for a Christmas message and and that was a really about, difficult thing. You're to talking hear. about the poli- like pol- a political issue of of abortion, and it's it's a contentious issue. And yeah. even I mean, there are lots of people that have varied opinion within our church members mm-hmm. about how to what are, what's the best policy stance and administrative response at a national level to this issue. I mean, and I will admit it's a cumbersome issue uh, to legislate, mm-hmm. um, but um, I don't think what I said. Sunday morning, or what I what we typically say at our church is primarily political. Right. I think it's primarily what we say is theological, uh-huh. and there is a difference. I would admit that all biblical theology has political implications because good biblical theology is going to affect how we live yeah. and how we vote mm-hmm. and what we do with our bodies. So I get that there are political implications, but what I had to say Sunday morning was pr- first and foremost theological. And I will point out again, I'll just take this opportunity, (laughs) that if John the Baptist, a a dark-skinned baby, or Jesus had been born or conceived and and born in inner city Chicago or New York City, their lives would have been threatened. And the rate of those losing their lives with dark skin in New York City outpaces the rate being born. 
Wow. My dad is a little is a is a couple years old there, but there was a time when uh, you could safely say that more lives were being lost in the African American community in New York City by abortion than were being born, which fulfills uh, the original intent of the founder of Planned Parenthood. If I'm correct, if I'm I there are a lot of people that say that. yes that the founder of Planned Parenthood was racist and was using this methodology. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think it is the, the exact right time to raise, um, God's Lordship over reproduction. It's so, yeah. And can we talk about place? Because the last part of this question always makes me cringe to hear these types of political issues addressed in church. Yeah. So that seems to suggest that they don't want any political issues yeah. addressed in church. How do you feel about that? They would probably need to, they'd be more comfortable in another church. And I don't mean that rude. I, I, we're going to, uh, who, uh, I, it's hard for me to conceive of being a part of a church that never addresses real life issues. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just not historically who Glenelg Bible Church has been. Glenelg Bible Church has done their best, although not always perfect, done their best to address issues. I think of the past eight months on the topic of race, mm-hmm. doing our best to address those issues. And yeah. in the Bible makes, Jesus makes claims on our lives. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about just today, I um, was reading in First uh, Thessalonians where Paul is telling the church, like, because some of the church had been thinking like, hey, we, we don't need to work because Jesus is coming back and we're not going to. And he's like, no, 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 get like get involved, get like work, yeah. be a part of the community, live peaceably, but be a part of the community. Like, don't just cut yourself off. I can't imagine uh, a theology that shapes a, a life that where you where you're not plugged in. To the yeah. community and society that in which you live. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's some pushback on the issue because I think churches, have, uh, many churches have handled this not always great. So there's any time, it's like um, slippery slope, right, uh, idea, which is not a great <laughs> great way to live your life. It's like, well, if you, if you say pro-life in the pulpit, then you've, you're telling the congregation that mm-hmm. you've now are fully endorsing this political candidate and everybody should right. vote for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are churches that do that, that stand in the pulpit and say, you should be voting for this person. And if you're not a Christian, you're, you're not a true church or a real Christian, if you're not voting for this person, which I would say is, is wrong and not nor we, the we place. Don't handle right. it that no. way, right? But there can be a little bit of a squirmishness because you said pro-life, the expectation or the thought might be, oh, great, here goes mm-hmm. another church. A political agenda. Another pastor yeah. telling me or telling us about a candidate and how we should vote and all those yeah. sorts of things. And, and I don't think that's, that is what you're, what you're doing. Addressing political issues doesn't always mean that we're telling, yeah. instructing people on how to vote. So. Yeah, I actually think you guys do a really nice job of blending the two. I don't feel like you're political. You not that you haven't ever talked about political things, just like you did on Sunday, but it doesn't seem to be a pervasive thing. Yeah. It's not like I'm going to come to church and expect to hear it. Maybe that's where this is coming from, is I was a little surprised that you wove that into this message, but not a bad surprise. It was like, oh, okay, I see why that fits here, but okay. I wasn't expecting okay, that's what you fair. came with. So to say, oh, here's a place where I could talk about abortion, but at the uh, 
it did fit in there. I felt like you made the connection. Um, so maybe that's where the word opportunistic is coming from. Maybe you it's surprising. Surprising. Right. That, I would agree. Surprising. Yeah. I, I um, made the same point working. We, we're big supporters as a church of... Uh, what are the new names? Crisis Pregnancy. I always want to say that. Caring oh, yeah. Networks. Caring, it's Network. Caring Network. So Caring Network. I think Network. it's Avenue Women now. Yeah, that's yeah, one of their One of their. One of their They've branches. got a couple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they're the, they're the, um, what? Um, Our partners for a Crisis uh, Pregnancy. Right. Crisis Pregnancy. All right. So anyway, they were having a devotional. Mm-hmm. They asked me to give a devotional to their staff, mm-hmm. about 30 of them. And this is the devotional I gave. I talked about John the Baptist leaping in the womb and their professional Mm -hmm. caregivers to pregnant women and had never considered it. Yeah. Wow. And I thought, oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what I kind of appreciated about it was that it was unexpected because I think in Advent, we all love Advent because it's very similar. Right. It's It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story, but I kind of liked that you did something different. You brought, you brought some new things in there. Um, yeah, I've found it really interesting. And to, to say that people who deal with crisis pregnancies on a daily basis hadn't even thought of this angle, yeah. I think it's interesting. Well, and for anyone listening to this podcast who maybe hasn't heard the sermon yet, this wasn't the thrust of your sermon. No, not no. at all. It was an aside. Mm-hmm. It was just... No. It was opportunistic. It was, it was, it was opportunistic. <laughs> and it might have been opportunistic. I took an opportunity to make yeah. a point. You know what? Mm-hmm. Good. That I'm passionate about. And that I think, I, well. Yeah. If you, and you had to go 25 minutes. And there just wasn't just really. had to find something <laughs> to talk about. can I take? I, I had 18 yes. minutes of content. So I just joking. had to find something. But honestly, I don't feel like I've ever gotten the sense. Like you were saying, John, um, sometimes you go to a church and, and you get the message that because this, I need to vote for this or whatever. I've never gotten that sense from you, actually. I have no idea yeah. Yeah. where you stand politically, Kelly. You yeah. know? And I think that's good and appropriate that you are able to hit social issues from a biblical standpoint without being directive about what you think people should do. The way we often frame it around here is we, we want to teach what the Bible teaches, um, but avoid playing the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, So I hope we wouldn't be so arrogant as to say, um, the, the membership of Golden Bible Church must vote a, for this a political agenda or that. Mm-hmm. Poli- um, that's just a lot of responsibility. That seems really arrogant. That's a lot because mm-hmm. uh, uh, political candidates are complicated people mm-hmm. right. and uh, political platforms are very cumbersome to construct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, if you, if you are, if you think the church should be more politically driven, driving politics and endorsing, you're probably not going to be comfortable You'll be frustrated here. here. If you think the church should say nothing about politics or political issues, you're probably not going to be really comfortable here, yeah. right? Is that right. a safe That's place great. to say? That's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 All right. Next question. All right. Next question. What did you mean by the authoritative message of a passage? Never heard that before. Are all messages from a passage authoritative? How do you decide what is the authoritative message of the text? A great oh, question. That is a great. Question. It is so, and I didn't get to this till the third service. So, so in our current uh, paradigm, there's a sermon recorded on Thursday, and then we're preaching three times on Sunday morning. So there's four deliveries of a singular topic. Mm-hmm. And I found that 
when you preach a message four times, um, it can it can get more muddled, but it can also get more nuanced, mm. and um, you can offer different elements. So by the, by the third service on Sunday, which was the fourth time to preach the message, I made a distinction between the primary message in a biblical text and a secondary message, and I used the word authoritative. So in, in grad school, I had a, a professor teach me that... Um, and we say this around here quite a bit, that the biblical authors are intelligent people whose personality came through in their writing as they're led by the Holy Spirit to pin God's word. So we do not believe in a dictation method of scriptural transmission. We don't believe God dictated or that the biblical authors were in a trance of sorts in which he, God moved their hand. So that leaves personality uh, in play. And we, I mean, personality is really evident in the Christmas narrative. You've got Elizabeth, she's noted as older, uh, barren, she's suffered socially because of the barrenness. Anyway, so the biblical authors bring their personality and their experience to bear on their writing. And they're writing to a particular audience. So now I have a unique author who's got a personality and has an experience writing to a unique audience in a culture that I'm separated from significantly by 21 centuries. Mm -hmm. And so in grad school, uh, professors would talk about there is an authoritative message. It is the message that the biblical author, it's the heart of the message the biblical author, the original author, wanted to communicate to the original audience. That's the authoritative message. It's the primary message. It's the nugget. Yeah. And it's, it's and, less connected to their personality and more connected to what God was inspiring them to, yes. to write. And you could say it would be true for all people, all times, all places, mm -hmm. this and, authoritative message. And can you share with us how you determine how you get there? Yeah. Which section is the authoritative? Which verse is the authoritative? Of all the or things what that, message? Yeah, yeah. of mm -hmm. all of the different messages that are being put out there, how do you determine which is that one? Yes. All right. So sometimes we have the luxury in the Bible that the authors tell us. Yes, they help what, us out. They, te they <laughs> right. tell us. So in Luke 18, verse 1, Luke is recording Jesus' words, and he says, Jesus told them a parable that they should always pray and never give up. So Jesus is telling us, here's the parable, and here's what you're to glean from it. You're mm -hmm. to never give up. And so if you preach something else from that parable, you would be... Opportunistic. Opportunistic. <laughs> <laughs> and then in Colossians 1, verse 15, Paul writes, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And that whole pericope section of Scripture mm -hmm. is about the unique deity of the man, Jesus. So I'll be honest with you. Some genre types of literature from the Bible, it is easier to glean the authoritative message than others. So the first thing you want to do is identify the genre of literature that you're dealing with. Now, a genre could be uh, gospel. That's what we were in Sunday. That's uh, Luke was writing a gospel, a biography of sorts, although it's not exactly a biography. There are, there are nuances to what a gospel is, and it's not exactly a biography. Um, there's a, the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation. There, it's apocalyptic literature. Uh, right now, John and I are talking about 
a series next fall in the book of Revelation, assuming we can get through with the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. <laughs> so that's apocalyptic literature, which is full of imagery, metaphor, symbolism. Then there's his, history writing. Take, for example, the book of Exodus or Genesis. There is poetry, the book of Psalms. There's wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs. And then there are letters to the churches. That's different genre. If you don't know your genre of literature you're in, then you're going to be hard-pressed to identify the message. Yeah. Because I wouldn't handle the Proverbs the way I would handle apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, and just to give a little clarity on um, genre and what that means in a biblical context, it's not just that we, uh, that, you know, historians and biblical scholars have looked at only the Bible and said, these are the genres we find in the Bible as defined by the Bible. They are defining those genres as other contemporaries, uh, uh, literature ancient. written, ancient writings yeah. around the times of the Bible saying, look at the people in this region. They are writing stories. There are similar stories in the Bible yeah. that fall in line with genre, yeah. uh, this genre, that Apocalyptic's genre. a great example. Apocalyptic is one, right? Yeah. Where there are different There's peoples lots of who have written yes. apocalyptic. I, I believe though the, the gospel obviously is one that is inherent and, and exclusive uh, well, there as were a other... genre, right, to the Bible? Um, I'm, I'm digging in a class from maybe need a year to, or two ago. I would here. need to go. <laughs> okay. There are, there are Gospels that were excluded from biblical literature. Uh, the Gospel of Thomas, for example. Right, uh, right. But as a genre... I don't know how unique it is. I can't yeah, speak okay. to that. So. But anyway, but that's that's what you yeah. mean when you're talking about genres. Yes. That, so the yeah. first thing you have to do is know the type of literature you're dealing with so that you can handle it appropriately. And then I'm going to blow through these fairly quickly. Then you want to address grammar, uh, word usage, and ra range of meaning of the words being used. Greek words in the first century have a range of meaning when they're translated to the English words. And so you need to make sure you have the right meaning and the breadth of meaning. Uh, syntax, that sentence structure. Uh, so the, the, the message is being communicated through sentences. And so you need to make sure your sentences uh, are, are flowing appropriately and you're understanding the meaning of the, the author. Um, then there's context. And by that, I mean context of words in verses, verses in paragraphs, paragraphs in chapters, chapters in books, and books within their testament. And so you, you don't want to pluck a single word out and say it always means thus and such. And you don't want to pluck a single verse out and say anytime these words are together syntactically, they always mean X. But you want to consider them in their context. And there can be some range of meaning. And then you want to deal with the ancient culture. And so I'll give you an example. Ancient Jewish culture put a premium, premium on the lives of the unborn. We know this from history writing that's even extra biblical, Josephus and whatnot. So yeah. a, a historian that wrote in the first century would tell you that Jewish culture, he'd confirm the fact uh, that the Jews put a premium on life in the womb, while their, their pagan counterparts in the same culture did not. If, if, a, if a girl was born and it wasn't desirable, or if there was something wrong with it, they'd put that child out and let it die a natural cause or be eaten by wild animals. So very common um, to, um, to put to death infants. And so this gives us a feel for when we read that John leapt in the womb, I can, we can bring to bear what we know in the culture 
yeah. about. All right, so that's a little bit, you need to use these elements to get to authoritative message. You need to make sure you understand the grammar, the syntax, the genre, the context of the words and how they're being used in that kind of this letter, is it gospel, so forth, and then the culture that surrounded this. Yeah. Interesting that you said that's a little bit, because that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot you just went into. Yeah, it, it can come. I, I think I'll stick to the Luke 18 where it just tells you exactly <laughs> what the nugget is. Here's what it's supposed to be. Here's what it says. But are are there any, um, I mean, for people who love literature and love to dig into that, it could be, you know, something that's really enjoyable. But are there some good study Bibles you think give some of this? Oh, my gosh, yes. Recommend we, to people? You can buy, you spend 120 bucks. You can have a seminary level mm-hmm. um, study Bible in hand. So I would recommend, so for my teenagers, my, and they're adults now by and large, when they were teenagers, we bought them the New Living Translation. It's produced by Tyndall House. It's the most readable translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And they have a study Bible out there that's no joke. It's three and a half, four inches thick. And it does all this contextual, historical, grammatical, syntactical work mm-hmm. when needed. Not, not every verse needs to be broken down this way, but there are some pivotal interpretive helps on some difficult passages. And these study Bibles do it. The NIV study Bible is great. Mm-hmm. The ESV study Bible is great. And again, you spend 120 bucks, and you can have some just terrific contextual um, help. And then there's also the software, which is what I, I use in seminary. It's called Logos. And I mean, it is... And, and there's, of course, different levels that you can buy. But for a couple hundred bucks, like, you mm-hmm. can get the entry-level uh, platform. And, I mean, you get all kinds of study Bibles, commentaries involved in it. And it's really nice to have it in a digital format because you can just type something in and search. Yeah. Or if you have your, you know, your Bible open digitally, you can just click on a word and b- boom, right there you get the Greek or you get the Hebrew. Or you, I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. It's pretty pretty fascinating. Yeah. I, I really appreciated the studying um, different genres and stuff, and it just made you realize how deeply you really can go into the Word of God, mm-hmm. into trying to determine what's being said. But at the same time, you don't have to. No, you don't um, have to. Right. That's just going to say is it, yeah. it can sound like to to your right. point, Beth. It can sound a little bit like intimidating. Daunting. Like, yeah. how can I even read the Bible if I can't understand right. all these things? And you know, the phrase is solo scriptura, right? Like mm-hmm. you. You only need scripture mm-hmm. to uh, to fully understand God. There's nothing else you need yep. to fully understand God, who He is, in salvation. Yeah, yeah. And if uh, you, I would go so far as say, if you can read, you can glean mm-hmm. the authoritative yeah. message it, of scripture. Especially right. if you go to scripture with a a, a learning mm-hmm. posture, right? Yeah. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit as well. I mean, there's, you know, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two edged sword. I mean, it's all Mm -hmm. these things like it's 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 um, you don't need to know Greek. You don't need to know Hebrew to understand the salvation message that's present in the gospel. Yeah. It by reading it. Mm -hmm. If you're going to teach it. Right. (laughs) If you're if you're going uh, to write on it. If you want to have a broader and deeper understanding of it for your own, per- like, yeah, you know, if you don't want to mishandle it, um, I, I should say, and I, also, I'll, let me add, I, if you're about to make a life decision, mm-hmm. yeah, let's say you're headed into a divorce and you want to know what scripture says about mm-hmm. a divorce, or you're struggling with same-sex attraction, you really want to know, is there a green light here or is this a red light? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. I think of, um, I'm going to put us on the spot here because I don't know if you or I remember the name of it, 
but uh, Walton, John Walton has a great book where he outlines, it's for, for children and families, but he basically oh. picks, uh, I think it's like the uh, 60 or 80 or something uh, kind of central. The Bible story? Oh. Uh, Do you know what I'm talking about? We have them down in children's ministry. Yeah. But it's, um, he picks the, you know, so Noah and the Ark. The Tower of it's Babel. It's the Bible Story Handbook. The Bible Story Handbook. Okay. So he picks these the key Bible stories that you know everybody kind of knows and is familiar with, and then he talks about what the context is, what the history is, mm-hmm. and then which really helpful is he says, "Don't do this with it." Yeah, David <laughs> and Goliath. Yeah, it doesn't mean this. You mm-hmm. cannot. This is a misuse of this story. And this is, but this That's is the cool. yeah. Don't over. Don't change it to be this. Stick mm-hmm. in the rails, and here they are. And it's written. F- it's in layman's terms. It's, it's written accessible, for yeah. parents yeah. who are who. Uh, particularly, I think it's parents. It's he and his wife have written yes. it together. Um, per, you know, parents raising younger children, teaching through the Bible. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've got I don't know several copies around here. In the it's church. a terrific. There's often I'll grab that first. Oh, it's a terrific yeah. resource about how to make, make sure you're getting the authoritative message yeah. mm-hmm. on a particular narrative is really cumbersome. When you get a story like Mary, Elizabeth, John, it can be cumbersome to identify the the authoritative message. I'd go so far as to say that the authoritative message from Sunday's passage was that. Mary is going to give birth to the Savior. Blessed is she who believes the, word, the Lord's word to her. I mean, that was Elizabeth's refrain, that, that it's true. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. That's the authoritative message. But I made several points other than the authoritative message, and, and that is appropriate as long as we don't, we don't we, we nuance it to say the authoritative message is X, but we can also know Y from this and Z from this. You follow me? Mm-hmm. So the authoritative message wasn't that we should treat life in the womb with dignity. However, that can be made from this passage. And I just so there's one caveat here. I have heard people make secondary points from passages um, and, and third and fourth points gleaning from them. Whatever secondary or third point we glean from a passage, um, it needs to be confirmed by other uh, passages of the Word of God. We get into trouble misusing God's Word when we when we say this passage is saying X, and then if it's the only passage mm-hmm. in the Bible that says that, does that make yeah, sense? Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to the next question. So Elizabeth had supernatural knowledge. How do you distinguish between what is natural knowledge and what is supernatural knowledge? Doesn't this create a haves and have not reality in which some know God and some do not? It does create a have and have not reality. It, it does. Um, so theologians typically talk about um, um, natural revelation and, and special revelation. Um, am I getting that right? Are those the right special revelation? Anyway, there's, and I, in second thir- service and third service, I talked a little bit about how when our teachers tell us two apples and two apples is general, 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 general yeah. sorry, yeah. drawn a blank. When, when our teachers tell us two apples and two apples are four apples, 
that's general revelation. That's revelation that's generally available to all humanity. When our science teacher points out what goes up must come down, that's general revelation. Theologians then talk about special revelation. That's revelation given by the Spirit of God. That's, and it's, it's, it's got to be specially communicated. It's, it's the knowledge needed, and I pointed this out Sunday, by which someone is born again. And apart from that special revelation, that supernatural knowledge, then we're not born again. It's something that only the Holy Spirit can bring to us. Now, the good news is, if someone wants special revelation, Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. Everybody who asks receives. Everybody who knocks receives. And so I think it's important to realize that, um, that if you have an appetite to know God, to receive special revelation, that God is eager to answer that prayer. But Jesus said, it's John chapter 3, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Then he nuances it. He, He gets more detailed. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. In other words, unless the Spirit of God's involved, we'll not go to to the kingdom of God, will not go to heaven. We must have this special revelation. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand. He's talking about an understanding, what God's freely given to us. This is what we speak. This is what we're teaching, in other words. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, 2 plus 2 equals 4, but in words taught by the spirit. It's a spiritual knowledge explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. So there is a knowledge of God that is only brought when the spirit of God enters and, and reveals it to us. Yeah, and Paul says in talk, verses about general revelation, right? Paul, that's Romans, when Paul says... Um, Oh gosh, I was looking Romans at Romans 1. No, Romans no. 1, right? For since the creation of the world, yeah. his invisible attributes, his have eternal been. power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So that's what we mean when we say general revelation. Yeah. And I get it. We hate the notion of haves and have-nots that feels unfair to us. And because it feels unfair to us, there are many pulpits in America that won't talk about it. At the same time, if we pretend that God doesn't have to be involved for us to be saved, that we can be saved simply by general revelation, follow me here, then smart people will go to heaven and dumb to hell. So let me follow up on that a little bit. It always baffled me that my dad wasn't drawn to faith in Christ. And he really, he was, he's passed away. He's, he was a really bright man. And I thought, how can I get this? And he can't. And in, in God's sovereignty, the truths about Christ are not something This is God's mercy. It's not something that only the bright or wise, intelligent get. But it's something that God makes available to whom he wishes so that um, I have a sister-in-law with Down syndrome. And um, 
I'm convinced she's born again. Uh, she can't read, she can't live on her own, she can't drive, but has had a real experience with the God of the universe. So my father got sick with a neurological disease, uh, Lewy body dementia, and he regressed mentally. He went from a, a very successful trial lawyer in the matter of about three years. He, he couldn't drive, he couldn't find his own house, he couldn't find his way around his house. And somewhere in that regression, at or about the age of what I would say was 10 years old, so he, he was 66 physically, but he regressed about 10. He actually received Christ. Yeah. In God's mercy, God humbled him. Mm-hmm. He, his intellect actually got in the way of his believing mm-hmm. because intellect actually brings a, a certain, a fair bit of arrogance. Yeah. Though that's not the case all the time, right? It's like when not. I think about the people in, it's not. In, in my life, I've you know, come across some of the most complex people, the most wise, smart people, bo- yep. you know, book smart people too, mm-hmm. have received Christ and have a genuine faith. And then at the same time, some of the most simple people, you know, a good family, my, my grandma is crazy simple, not really super interested in going deep in, in the theology elements, or in, yeah. in the intellect at all, but had a rock solid faith. Yeah. And I'm thankful that God works that way. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the name Gosh. Anthony Fauci these days, right? <laughs> but not many people know his boss, Francis Collins. Francis Collins is America's premier scientist, and he is responsible for leading the scientific team that mapped the human genome. And he, he's an evangelical Christian, passionate believer, brilliant man, uh, full of humility. I, a couple years back, I emailed him an email. He got back to me same day. Um, just very accessible, real. Just want to talk shop with him? Yeah, just trying, to, just trying to break it down, keeping it real. Have you considered this and that about? So he wrote a book titled The Language of God. Yeah. And it was about how the, the integration of science and faith. And um, It's interesting on this topic. There's often um, the extreme. Uh, I'm going to overstate because everybody can think of examples that contradict. The extreme uh, intellectual, like um, Collins, Collins, and sometimes those who have nothing, mm-hmm. like no, no resources, no, you know, that are drawn to the the supernatural, the unexplainable mm-hmm. things of faith, and to to Christ, you know, like. It's often those that are like you talked about inoculation the other day, right? Right. We've got just enough smarts just enough comforts, just enough resources to sort of say, eh, eh. you know, I've had just enough, enough Christian, Christian experience to not go fully mm-hmm. in, not enough, not radicalized. Right. I'm, you know, I think it's Collins in his book talks about the more he discovered, the more faith it took for it to all work together. Like the deeper he went into the science, the more he was realizing how, supernatural it actually right. is. It was actually, and, it took more faith, he determined, to think there wasn't a God. Yes, right, right. As detailed as the science right, became. Right. And, you know, anyway, I, I'm, over, I'm overstating, but I think often those in the middle, or the, the you know, middle class or whatever, are, are ones that often struggle, yeah. you know. I can see that. Um, yeah. but. All right, well, let's move to our final question. Doesn't it strike you as strange, all the Christmas drama? I mean, why all the intrigue? 
Wouldn't it have been easier for God to create a different reality, one in which we could both enjoy his presence and avoid sin? It's also messy. An old woman giving birth to prophets <laughs> and a virgin giving birth to God. It seems so strange. Hope my venting doesn't throw anyone. Isn't that great? I love this. It's great. It's so much like the human experience, which is messy. Yeah. You know, as which I guess goes back to the question, wouldn't it have been easier if we could just have the joy with no sin? Yeah. That's where right. the message comes from. Can we have the good news from. without the bad news, please? <laughs> but we wouldn't need the good news without the bad news. Right. right. I, I do, I would agree with this person. It is strange. It's a strange story, but it's, it's strange in a, in a beautiful way, an otherworldly, fantastical way. I like, you know, we're all con- heard truth is stranger than fiction. Have you heard that <laughs> saying? Yeah. It, so reality, I often find is more graphic than make-believe. So, for example, when you're watching television, think of what you watched on television over the last week. There's some very uh, difficult scenes we've all watched on television that if we saw them in real life, (laughs) we would be terrified. That we'd want no part of what we just saw. So it is the case that make-believe or fiction is, is fairly safe. And when I read the Gospels, I get this is intensely graphic, beautiful, miraculous, and marvelous. But I agree it's strange. Yeah, it is. It's, it's strange. It, it's um, in our modern linear wanting to prove and, and, you know, truth. It doesn't serve us well, right? I mean, it doesn't. Like if, you know, to try to tell somebody that a, a you know, 15-year-old girl, 14, 15-year-old girl had a baby that she was a virgin, like it's dramatic. It's all these, you know, I always go back to, it must be true then. Because, Who would make this up? Because right. if I was going to make this up to try to convince, it would be prettier. The, to yeah. convince the world uh-huh. that God existed and that his son had come and that we should believe in him for salvation, I would come up with a very different way of doing this. Right. Like I got, you know, we talk about it Easter, the fact that he rose to, to two women and then the first yep. people yeah. to declare, like, you wouldn't do that yeah. if you were trying mm-hmm. to write a manipulative fake and, gospel and story mm-hmm. to convince the world to, yeah. to buy into what you're saying. And then opponents will say, well, yeah, but the people who ruled were the people who wrote the history books. And it's like, great. The Romans wrote the history books. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, it was yeah. the Romans who were ruling. Like, right. They yeah, and... I'm just convinced more and more that that reality is so graphic and so messy that uh, I just find this story to be so convincing, just so utterly convincing on that basis. And, yeah, I I suppose part of the question is... uh, Wouldn't it have been easier? Wouldn't it have been easier? Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to answer the question. Yes, it would have been. It could have been much easier to do it in another way that we would like and understand. But God is God and we are not. And this, the craziness of this whole thing and the way that it all lines up with prophecy. And I mean, there is so much going on here that I get to the end of it and go, it has to be true. Actually, to your point, I think our desire for a different story Mm -hmm. is an indication, can be, can be, doesn't have to be, can be an indication of how out of step we are with the purposes and person of God. With how God works. With how God works. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I'm biased. I've bought it. You know, I'm not right. coming at this right. from the perspective of somebody who's struggling. Um, but there's just, there's so many, if you believe, um, you know, that the Bible has, uh, is real, and you, and you look through the story, and you look through how it's lined up with prophecy, and the things that were said thousands of years ago, and you you I did, you either have to throw it all out or you have to believe it fully. That's right. where mm-hmm. I land on the yeah, thing. It's, true. You, it's too it's impossible for me to have somebody say I believe that part. But I believe Jesus the is the Savior, but I don't believe in the virgin birth. Right. And I believe this, and I believe mm-hmm. this, and I, I believe he's a great teacher, but I but I don't believe that he was the Son of God. Right. You either have to take the whole thing and throw it completely out and say. It's fantastical story that somebody wrote to try to manipulate humanity and make money or have control or whatever. Or you have to look at it and go, this is actually true. Yeah. This actually happened. There was a real person. And one of the big differences is that uh, much of the scripture was written in like in the public eye. Like yes. in the public eye. A lot of these events happened with with a watching world with other people around where uh, you know other, there are some other major religions that um, have a crucial key component to it that was done in seclusion <laughs> totally. right like yes. this person went here this person came back revelation happened right and in the bible you just see a lot of stuff like you know 500 people rose from the dead and right. like you know like a group of women came to the tomb like you just things are done in a way that's like wow that, that'd be hard to just pull off yeah. Right. Yeah. I also wonder too, going back to this question, like, couldn't we enjoy God's presence and avoid the sin? Would would we <laughs> fully understand what joy is if there wasn't the mess along with it? And and won't we enjoy God's presence without the sin in heaven? Isn't that what heaven's for? Um, so that's kinda I I get it. Like it would be so much easier in this moment if the world was perfect and there were no sin, but I think we because of the sin, we see how much we need a Savior, and then we can enjoy God more. Good word. All right, are we done? We're done. That was a good one. All right, here we go. That's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends learning opportunity for all who want to know God better strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us and thank you listeners for tuning in to the next level. Prophecy.